Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and the countdown to 100 continues as this is episode 97, I think, of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. The Vanilla Godzilla and Mr. Bailey, have you come any closer to finding a new email address for us? Because ours is on ours is on Death Watch. Yes, it really is. It truly, sincerely is a dumpster fire, and the dumpster is almost completely melted down after decades of wonderful service that Excite has given us. The email part of Excite, maybe Excite altogether, I don't fucking know, is coming to a conclusion, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we were the last email address associated with it. I think that's why they decided to finally cancel the fucking thing. But uh, as of the last day of next month in, or in August, it is over. It is completely over. They are canceling Excite Mail. So we we have to find something. I'm looking. We? I, you? I, I have to find something. I'm looking. Don't don't put this responsibility on my shoulders. (laughs) Yes, God knows you have too much already. I'm contacting uh, some of the early founders of AltaVision. A couple of them are dead. One of them is... uh, AltaVision? Alta Vista? Alta Vista. And Alta Vista, a couple of them are still around. So I'm going to try to get that fucking thing uh, going to see if they can help us. I don't know. Or we could turn to carrier pigeons. But actually, some of our feedback, I checked one uh, server. I was on, I think, Firefox or something. And nothing was coming through. So I'm like, well, that's not working. Tried Safari a couple times. Nothing was coming through. And I was told... By one Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez that he had a response for us that we'll get to later. Couldn't find it. Refreshed it 15 fucking times. Got into it. And guess what? It was there. Excite just uh, had decided not to show us at this time. So, you know, it's definitely coming to a fiery conclusion. And I'm proud very proud to have been associated with this wonderful email address for as long as we have. Are you telling me that our email has Alzheimer's? It's got something going on, dude. It really is not working, barely functioning at all. But we are going to write it out till the very end. Uh, I am going to figure out some new place for everyone to contact us. And it's going to be uh, better, clearly, than what we have now, no matter what it is. But thank you, Excite, for uh, keeping us around and a gimmick that turned into really a, a mainstay of the show. Thank you very much for that i don't know man i still i still think net zero may may have some potential left in it i haven't looked i don't know if that's still even a thing but i don't know either but i'll tell you what this ties in with our wonderful wonderful giveaway we here at one day closer to dead want to give you your you know little orphan annie secret decoder ring of our own just for saying thank you and being very appreciative that you have listened to us for as long as you have if you email us your name and a mailing address we are going to send you something in the mail from us no matter where you are all over the world paris dublin doesn't fucking matter San Jose, whatever. We will send it to you directly just to say thank you as a little token of our appreciation. But you got to get this done within the next three episodes because we are getting to episode 100 of the virus that is one day closer to dead. I can't even fucking believe it. Well, the great news is, is because it is through the Excite email that if somebody happens to send us something from somewhere that's way too expensive to ship to... 
we can, with full you know justification, be like, we never got that email from that location. We're let's, sorry, buddy. Let's just put it this way. There'd be a lot of credible deniability. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. Uh, oh, my God. But, you know, it is fun that we are coming to our 100th episode. The email's coming to an end. I, As I always say, it's, it's very poetic very dark night returns but we are looking very forward to this 100th episode and uh, hopefully we'll have some very special things for all you guys out there not just a dakota ring telling you to drink more ovaltine we are going to have some good stuff on the way but thank you very much it's a little bit of uh, feedback on our search for a new email address that you can always contact your favorite two niche podcasters and by always we mean for about another month one more and- month Yes. And uh, also, if there's any segments to those longtime dozens that we have covered that you would like to either bring up as, you know, favorite, least favorite, you know, moments of the show that you have enjoyed or hated or both or whatever, uh, feel free to send them to that uh, said email. Jason, maybe you and I will revisit some uh, conversations that we have had in the past. And uh, the the dozens can help dictate what those what those may be. And, And how, Jason... Might they tell us about these things? You can always reach us for the next for month. another month at this little known email address known as Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com. Because, well, god damn it, it's exciting and the clock is ticking. Uh, so you mentioned feedback, Jason. Yeah, uh, did we did we get any feedback on our our Cosby segment? Because we went fucking hard on that motherfucker last week. We really did, and um, I honestly think that somebody actually does need to go hard on Doctor Bill Cosby uh, from behind what a and sledgehammer. Uh, yeah, just teach him a nice lesson. But uh, actually, there was a couple. There was a lot of comments out there saying this is exactly why women don't come forward after sexual abuse, which I completely yes. understand. Uh, but one of the comments that um that really stuck out is this was hysterical you guys are really funny (laughs) that we somehow obliterated dr cosby so perfectly in such an obscene vulgar way that uh, it came off as funny sort of like a dennis leary on bourbon and cocaine type situation uh but meeting bill hicks on there we go thank you very (laughs) much yeah yeah remember bill hicks everybody but um the interesting part is the comment that a lot of people actually liked was burn in fat albert hell which I think we're just going to have to make a T-shirt of that one, I guess. But that was a really good uh, little throwaway comment that uh, people liked a lot. So there you go. Well, misery agrees with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, a quick, quick side note, Jason. Uh, do you remember? And I know you do because you were such a big fan of um, uh, Lucha Underground. But uh, you remember pro wrestler Joey Ryan? Yeah. Okay, so for those that don't know, he's a scumbag as well. He and mm-hmm. Cosby would make excellent cellmates together. Uh, he was another one who, uh, you know, had a bunch of accusations uh, come out different than Cosby to not drew direct parallel. But he had tried, you know, he had just been sleazy and inappropriate and in some cases kind of tried to force himself on women multiple times. Like, I forget what the number was of ac- accusers this dude had, but a lot. So he's been persona non grata in the, the wrestling industry for, you know, a year, year and a half or something now. And think about just how fucking shitty you have to be to be persona non grata in the fucking wrestling business like jesus 
that is setting a bar so low that a fucking you know slug couldn't uh, couldn't get underneath it. Um, so anyway, I, I do have to mention. So I I typically try to avoid like social media beef type shit because mm-hmm. I just you know who has the time is just whatever. But I just I forget how it came onto my radar. But I happened to see that this prick like. Uh, put something on social media the other day that I just couldn't help myself, Jason. I, I had to respond oh, to God. it. And it was so as soon as he got caught with all these sexual harassment, sexual abuse, I am a scumbag accusations from so many different people. He immediately, and you'll appreciate this, uh, became a born again Christian and said that, you know, God has forgiven him. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And he's a better man now. And blah, 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 fucking blah. So he posted this, like, selfie of himself holding up, like, a one-year chip or whatever. And it's not for alcohol addiction. At least I don't believe it is. Uh, I, I will quote what he said here. So then my, uh, my response will make sense in context. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's story time. Story time with Dave. <laughs> uh, so Joey Ryan said, quote, I used to think the best version of me was... I, I'm making him British. Just roll with it. I used to think the best version of me was high status, lots of money, and sexual conquests. What I've learned is to value who I am versus a need to control what others believe about me. Through the grace of God, I am one year free of acting out in romantic intrigue and emotional validation. And he has his picture holding up a one year whatever the fuck. So me being me, Jason, with the Cosby conversation fresh on my mind, responded back, quote, celebrate me because I haven't tried to rape or assault any women in the last 12 months is a weird fucking flex, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you hold up your one-year token of what the fuck ever, pal, of self-validation, you fucking sexual predator prick. Yeah, Get so that was that. Out of here. So <clears throat> I just love that. how Dave just can't help himself. When it gets too crazy, he's got to put that cape on and get in there and fight for the cause of justice. And good job, Dave. I like well, how so you do that, man. I'm an asshole when it comes to yeah, I know. horrible people. Yeah, and I, and there's I nothing take, wrong with that. I take some pride in that sometimes, I yeah, guess. Man. But, uh, good yeah. job. Well, yeah, it was all funny for the listeners, I guess, how we just, uh, Jello Pudding Pop raped Bill Cosby. Uh, forgive me, Dr. Cosby. And uh, I'm just what glad that What is he a doctor did of? Did we ever determine this? Uh, yes, rapeology. And so the thing Fair. is that it's just, you know, fuck him, and we're going to move on from that. Okay. Uh, and enjoy your the rest of your, your shitty life, uh, asshole. But uh, there was some other uh, feedback I forgot to give last week that I just want to give an update on, is that we actually stumped the great Joe Baca on Star Wars trivia. He simply can't locate this information and God knows he's tried. He really, really has fucking tried. When we just kind of, in, in one of our opening um, uh, um, episodes, I think it was a Homelessness Hellscape or, or whatever, we talked about the recent little slight controversy or just talking points of Disney slowly but surely, quietly getting rid of the Slave One name from Boba Fett's starship. And we just sort of were pondering, where did this name come from? Why did Lucas sign off on it? How did it become... What's the origin of calling his starship Slave One? Right, because so it, it was never mentioned in the movies. No, and we just threw it out there as 
Well, if there's one human on this fucking planet that would know this, it's Joey. He, he you did, will. You did lay that this gauntlet. Out. You did lay I that did. gauntlet down a little bit. It was not just a casual thing. You were like, well, if Joey's out there listening, you 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 did make it a bit of a personal challenge, Jason. I yeah, will say well, that. Well, I did. But the thing is that he's never let me down. But what, what this really boils down to is this fucking information simply does not exist. I don't even know if George Lucas would fucking remember at this point. So to me, this is like the holy grail now of Star Wars knowledge. I knew Somebody needs to figure this out, okay? He, he even has an extensive library in his house of books that are no longer published, little things that he also consults for any Star Wars anything. Of course, the internet and Dr. Google's available, so he searched all over that. He's George on tons Lucas's of forums. underwear. There you go. He's got it all. He, he's consulted everything. And at the end of the day, he says that it was on, you know, some working blueprint concept design of the shift, and it may have just been something that whoever was drawing it that day needed to call it fucking something. So he called it Slave One, and everyone just went, okay, it's never going to be in the movie anyway. It's Boba Fett's not really that big of a character. <laughs> Who knew? And so we don't really have to think much about this going forward. God damn, did they ever. Because obviously Boba Fett, you know, is is became a tweener, and then he was just this anti-hero, and now he's his own fucking thing in the star wars universe and uh there is no joey could not get to the bottom of it he could not figure out and there's no knowledge also of why george lucas went along with it and it is true that uh in in the canon type stuff that we're talking about it was only mentioned one time uh and it was in the clone wars cartoon which was years after the that was years after but the thing is that in all toys that you can buy. I mean, I have two slave ones. I've got the the original from back in the day, uh, the early '80s that came out, and then the re-release of it that happened what in the uh, mid uh, late '80s, I guess. And so, and they were still calling it slave one on the boxes and everything. So it's just interesting that we can't figure this information out. Uh, anybody out there listening that's a Star Wars fan or has more insight than us, this has really become. Our little pop culture unsolved mysteries. Please contact us. We would love to know what any of you fucking know about this. Of course, if they do, we may never we may never get it. <laughs> Once I find a new email address for you to contact us. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't have faith in whatever the replacement is going to be. If, if, if that engine's going to run any better than the one that we've been driving for the last fucking you know, year plus. Well, I sort of agree, So, uh, but it is what it is. Hey, and then finally, let's get into the big piece of feedback. Uh, and this one, this really fucking matters because Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, uh, my personal doctor, my great friend, uh, and someone that has a huge man crush on Dave and kind of hates me, uh, just can't let this goddamn uh, Dr. Fauci is not the issue, Donald Trump is, and COVID probably didn't come from the Wuhan laboratory. He can't let this issue go. So we You're did, talking about from our episode Lab Leak? Lab Leak, we did this thing. And then we finally were like, hey... Can you give us some information? I completely disagreed with Eddie on a lot of what he said, but but really, um, the one part of it that Dave went back to 
And, and another episode is that's a good response from Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, even if I don't agree with it, meaning me, Jason, but he never did address the gain of function research, which was really what Dave was driving home in the lab leak episode. And we kind of wanted a response to that. Well, I don't know. It took him two or three weeks. And I, I guess a lot of research team helped him get this response uh, so that he could come back with something that was uh, a little more... Um, knowledgeable and what he's trying to talk about and also get back to us and exactly what, uh, what we wanted to hear. So would you like to hear this, Dave? No, Jason, of course not. Ha, 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 ha. Let's move on to the next topic. Well, Dave, we're actually going to do this. You know okay. me so well, Jason. Thank you very much. So at any rate, here it comes. This is, what is this labeled? Oh, it's who made the cotton candy part two. And this, we are out of time. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. This time it's personal. Dear Dave and Jason, I just wanted to reconnect with you guys about the follow-up to my last email regarding the lab leak episode of the podcast. I took a lot of heat, mostly from Jason, for sounding too anti-Trumpy and not really addressing Dave's excellent question regarding gain-of-function research and whether Dr. Fauci was being transparent about the NIH's role in and, the possible, and possibly contributing to the pandemic. I think we need to consider these are two separate issues. Number one, did cotton candy come from the Wuhan lab? And number two, did gain-of-function research contribute to the infectionist and the lethality of the cotton candy virus? Here's a sub-question to that. Is, did the NIH fund that type of research at all? And was Dr. Fauci somehow trying to conceal or not be transparent about this funding? So here we go. This is my response. Did cotton candy come from the Wuhan lab? As I mentioned in my last response, it is possible. However, not for the nefarious reasons that you might have heard. The Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention are two labs specifically designed and charged with studying emerging zoonotic disease. This means coming from animals to humans and is in an area of the world where several other viruses have naturally developed is a perfect place to put these labs. They are constantly taking samples of blood from bats and other mammals to see how these viruses might be mutating. Could the original SARS-CoV-2 virus been in one of these samples and somehow leaked from the lab? Uh, sure, it is possible, but it needs to be investigated. And as I said, China has a horrible track record of transparency. And now, did gain-of-function research contribute to the lethality here of cotton of the cotton candy virus. All right, let me see. This is there we go. My god, the email's barely fucking working. Here we go. Did the NIH fund this type of research? Where the fuck it I'm telling you this goddamn email. Here we go. Did gain-of-function research contribute to the infectionist and lethality of the cotton candy virus? This is highly unlikely to be true and here's why. Gain-of-function research is really a misnomer. It is really just basic science research that involves making small changes to the viral genome that can cause a virus to behave in certain ways to study them. As you guys mentioned, this is done often to study how to combat future pandemics and treat emerging diseases. There's a whole debate out there about the ethics of changing viral genes to study them because some are concerned that you could make certain existing viruses more infectious or more lethal. That's exactly sort of what Dave was talking about, by the way. 
anyway. But by all accounts, this virus was entirely new, and the closest relative coronavirus is only 96% identical to it. Now, that may seem like a lot, but in viral genetics, it is a hugely, it's hugely different than other coronaviruses. And this is clinically true. Creating that 4% in the lab is beyond our technical capabilities at the moment, okay? Now, let's talk about this. Did the NIH fund this type of research? Okay, let's see here because this email is not fucking even helping us at all. And I'm, I'm just, I just have to ask, what is happening on your side? The, the like, what, every time that I go to scroll down, it has to fucking like refresh for me to scroll down. Okay, I, I was just curious. I can't even make this up. God bless you, Excite. The short answer here is debatable. Hold on, let me reread it. Did the NIH fund that type of research? And did Dr. Fauci somehow try to conceal it or not be transparent about this funding? That's exactly what I fucking think happened. But let's get back to the email. The short answer here is it's debatable. But I fall on the side of no and no. Okay? This, but basically, yes, there was a relatively small grant called the EcoHealth Grant that was funded by the NIH. And part of the money, you know, went to that Virology Institute in Wuhan. One of Dr. Fauci's emails said it was important to work with this Wuhan Institute, given this area of China was where the original SARS virus came from. So we need to collaborate and prevent future pandemics by studying it here. This was a smoking gun for the right you know, the people that we can't stand, but really was just a true statement having nothing to do with cotton candy at all. The NIH has put out a statement that the money was not used for gain of function research. And Dr. Fauci has testified before Congress that the NIH has not now or ever in the past given Wuhan labs money for this gain of function research. The reason it is debatable is begin the term gain of function research could even include observing natural occurring mutations such as this, okay? It can also involve inducing mutations which are random. So could the NIH be splitting hairs here? Maybe, but I don't blame them because this is the conservatives. The conservatives are ready to pounce on anything that will support their message that Dr. Fauci is secretly using his evil government scientists to help China develop a super killer virus so that he can somehow profit from vaccine sales. I don't know. I'm just spitballing a random QAnon conspiracy at this point. But anyway, I hope that more completely answers the questions that you guys have raised in past episodes on the podcast. Of course, I'll be happy to share more thoughts as more information surfaces on the issues. I want, to take, I want you all to take care. Here's a big hug for Dave. For fucking Dave, of course it is. Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, and he leaves a note on the end saying, uh, note, no CNN or Sanjay Gupta resources were used in the writing of this email. So that is the, uh, I guess, another follow-up to the gain-of-function research issue that we had asked about in the past that we felt that Edward did not even address at all. So this was his way of fully fucking addressing that. What do you think, Dave? Well, what I thought was... Um interesting was that in i don't want to say refuting because i don't think in by design i don't think eddie was speaking in in those types of um direct terms but in gently refuting the uh culpability of fauci in 
the handling of the pandemic or the forthcomingness of information regarding the pandemic, I also think he also kind of proves the opposite point is I have heard Fauci's defense in regards to gain of function research and listen to at least some of his testimony, not all of it. I'm not going to be like, well, I did the research. I watched the entire thing. No, I fucking didn't. I've, I've heard some of it. Um, where, uh, it really sounded like he was getting around that question of whether or not he was involved or the NIH was involved in gain-of-function research by really splitting hairs about what the definition of gain-of-function really is, and that seemed to be the defense that he was laying down on. I don't think it is a defense to say that he was doing that to prevent the conservatives from pouncing. I don't think that's a defense at all. I think, like, I can understand. I don't think Fauci is some evil actor, you know, Lex Lutherish schemer trying to somehow dominate the world. I, even if he was acting 100% of the time through the best of intentions, I do think that there appears to have been very legitimate conflict of interests where he attempted to manipulate the framing of the conversation in the discussion in order to remove himself from the firing line. Just because it was to possibly prevent that firing line coming from conservative sources doesn't mean that that was the right way of going about it when transparency 100 percent transparency even when it's painful is i think absolutely necessary when we're talking about something that has the worldwide implications that this has uh so my opinion hasn't changed i appreciate the the elaboration and and eddie taking the time to uh to rewrite us it but I also think that that further illustrates that I, I do think that there was some culpability, whether or not it came from the lab or not, that um, that Fauci has at times tried to split hairs and, and kind of change the defining of terms and stuff in order to make the conversation more comfortable for him, as opposed to always, quote unquote, following the science as he always tries to be adamant about. So I do think there's a little bit of hypocriticalness there from Fauci. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. The one thing I, I do want to uh, say is thank you, thank you to Edward for that uh, email that I could barely absolutely. Um, access uh, through our email. But uh, thank you very much because that was that was it was good. It's the kind of dialogue we like to have. You know what I mean? And, like we're we we credit, do entertaining stuff. But thank you very much for actually that was a, a great response too. And and credit to you, Jason. You read it horribly. <clears throat> I really did. I was the goddamn thing. I was like, what is happening with this fucking email? You, every time that I went to scroll it, Excite had to stop and refresh for me to scroll it. I was like, oh my fucking God. Like, love you, Excite. But yeah, it, it is time to, uh, let's, let's call it a day. But at any rate, thank to you very to much take ex, To take Excite behind the barn. <laughs> it's, it's old yeller. Come with me. It's, it's, let's go over here. Here you go. I have a bone for you. Boom. Uh, but yeah, thank you. We really do appreciate that because that's sort of what we were looking at. Uh, the think we thought we were going to get the first time, and there's there's just a little more information in that. And thank you very much, Edward. Appreciate it. Well, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. Did you know that? I certainly fucking did. Did you know why? Because it certainly fucking is. Because it truly is, Jason. It's your because gimmick, it truly dude. is. It's your fucking gimmick. I'm sick of doing your gimmick, dude. What? What? You know, just carry on. What's the, what's the, what's the fucking dumpster fire segment? Well, I don't know, Jason. I was going to ask you what you wanted to talk about for the dumpster fire. Apparently you don't know what we're doing today. I, uh... 
Listen, why don't you lead it off with this Donald Trump America first bullshit? Everything you know about it. Then I'll put everything I know about it. and Together we'll know about 50% about what's going on. Oh, I haven't followed. I don't know anything about it. How about, how about you start? Okay. This is what I think. <laughs> all, all I can figure out, because I don't follow this fuck anymore. I cannot stand reading his goddamn name at all is that he's got a website up and running fucking now where all of his MAGA zombie fucks can follow him and, and, and get back in touch with him for his upcoming rallies of, you know, 2,000 people where he just engages them about how the election was fucking rigged and that's why he lost. But he's coming back, goddammit, and it, not, that's, this is really what I know. Not to be confused with his blog, which lasted all of about three weeks before it was taken behind the barn and shot because no one gave any fucks about it. Good job. Yes, pretty much. So the thing is that I know that that's going on. I know that this America First Institute thing that he's creating is just, you know, more of the same bullshittery we had to deal with in the past. But what I did notice that was very interesting is that recently with the whole, I don't know, conservative get together, you know, um, CPAC whatever the fuck the, the 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 white rally that went on down there um the Ku Klux Klan I mean the CPAC uh that they did that straw poll which the you know kind of if you could pick the next candidate for the Republican Party presidential who would you pick and he fucking dominated it insanely like by 80 something percent or whatever the fuck. So it's a perfect example that Donald Trump did exactly what we knew he was going to do, which was take over the entire Republican party at its base to control it going forward. And that's, that's exactly what's happened. He and DeSantis were the only two to get double digits, I believe. Yeah. DeSantis DeSantis got 20 or 21%. Yeah, Yeah. He got 20 or 21%. Mm -hmm. Which if you take Trump out of the equation, he ran the table on anybody else. Yeah. So I think that is also another important, important thing just to, to mention there. Um, in regards to Trump, the, the funny thing about the, um, and there's a lot, I tried to look into this a little bit. There's a lot of different groups that kind of use the America first moniker, especially after Trump made it like his big campaign thing years ago. But, um, so, but whatever the fuck Trump has used that organization group funding arm, whatever to, uh, file lawsuits against social media platforms that had banned him from using them. So I thought we'd talk about that for a second, and it really will only take a second to talk about because there's nothing to say. The whole thing is a fucking grift. It's a scam, like anything else the motherfucker's involved in is. Yep. So they did this huge press conference, and all these people got very excited about it. Oh, he's going after the social media platforms, and he's suing Facebook, and he's suing Twitter, and blah, 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 blah. None of it fucking matters for a second for... I mean, for many reasons, but for one big one that we can just use to kill the conversation, Jason, because that's what we do. We hate having conversations on this show. Let's kill them all. Uh, When you sign up to Facebook, when you sign up to Twitter, there is a terms of use that you agree to before you can post anything on either of those sites. Facebook requires that if you are going to try to litigate anything with them, that you do so in the state of California. I believe Twitter does as well. Twitter also specifies where a lawsuit or a litigation or a legal battle has to be fought. I believe it is California as well, because they're both like Silicon Valley. But 
Um, Twitter, maybe somewhere else, but I thought it was I thought it was California as well. But I'll tell you where it wasn't. Florida. Trump filed all of these lawsuits in Florida where they are guaranteed to get thrown out because the terms of service of Facebook and Twitter state that lawsuits cannot be filed outside of their respective states. And Trump, as dumb as he is, knows this, and his lawyers know this. This is not any legitimate attempt at a lawsuit. It simply got him in front of the cameras again. And then as soon as they did that press conference, they sent out the fundraising emails, helped Donald Trump fight the social media platforms. So they raised a bunch of fucking money off of it from all of these, you know, gullible people that just buy into all of this bullshit. It is not a legitimate lawsuit, at least not in its current form. If they later tried to refile in California... I mean, I still don't think they would get anywhere, but at least they would be one step closer to hitting the dartboard, let alone a fucking bullseye. So this entire thing was nothing but a scam and a fundraiser, much like anything else they have fucking done ever since he even attempted to run for office in 2016. That's exactly right. It was everything that he's doing is just to keep his name out there, get a little more attention, maybe a little more shielding from the lawsuits that are, you know, being directed towards his organization. Fuck lawsuits, uh, man. I still think there's criminal charges coming. Yeah. I mean, there already is with the Trump organization, but I'm talking right. about, you know, him Trump directly. Personally. Yeah. Him directly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that if he, you know, can make this case that he's still a potential candidate and he can make it about politics, this is a way of, you know, somewhere in his mind saving his own ass. So there's a lot of that fucking going on too. But honestly, there's, there's not much for me to say on it because. I can't fucking stand the prick to the point that I'm like anything about him. And I'm sure people are like, well, that's just, you know, you're willfully ignorant if you're not paying attention to what the emperor is doing, even though he's, he's not, not, the not in the Death Star. Fuck him. That's he's what I mean. But the former. And to me, I'm just like, you know, we'll deal with that storm when it comes again. But fuck him. And it was it was hard for us even last year, the year before that, we had to start addressing you know, Donald Trump, because it was just, it was overwhelming how much he was fucking everything up in our world on every fucking level. You simply could not get away from the man on any fucking topic at all. And I mean, our ratings showed from it. The listenership just skyrocketed. We just had, we could do a show at any time about how much we fucking hate Donald Trump and broadcast it as that. And people will listen. Which wasn't why we did it for No, no. We, we were damn near forced into doing it because it was just no way to get around this man in talking about any social issue last year. So, But when he finally got defeated, and he was legitimately by President Biden, um, it was this, this sigh of relief, at least I can tell you on my part, it was just like 600 pounds of weights just being sat down and going, fuck him at least we don't have to fucking talk about this piece of shit anymore let's get to talking about other things and that's pretty pretty much why we've just you know avoided his name as long as we we possibly could you know and i don't have a lot of knowledge on a lot of shit he does because i don't want to i just don't do you want to touch very quickly because you know a little bit i don't know how much there is to say but you know a little bit more about it than i do about uh, linda mcmahon's culpability and all of this currently 
Oh, well, Linda McMahon is, you know, at least partially helping, I think, get behind that lawsuit where he is trying to sue all the mega uh, social media platforms out there. She's part of the group that is bringing this to light and, and you know, a pro activist. And yes, you are besmirching Donald Trump's human fucking rights by not letting him broadcast his shitty racist propaganda all over the fucking internet, you know, interweb way. And it's just like, it's, it's unbelievable if, if there was somebody wrote in, uh, I think I sent you this feedback when it came in as if there wasn't, you know, yet another reason for hating the WWE and the McMahons. So just, just one more thing, one more feather in the cap of assholery that uh, Linda McMahon is is part of this uh, effort as well. A uh, story I saw today, slightly separate, and it wasn't enough to do uh, like a full segment on, but I do think it's it's worthy of mention here. Uh, I guess this com- I guess this came out of a book that is going to be coming out shortly, like one of those tell-all exposés about the you know Trump presidency, because those are still very popular. But according to according to this book, I guess. Uh, when, when it got leaked out that Trump was hiding down in the, the bunker during the, uh, the protests, apparently Trump got so pissed that that got leaked, that he wanted the leaker found and executed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is who you want leading the, uh, free world here. This is, this is fucking great. Yeah. What the, one of the worst fucking things that ever happened to goddamn humanity. So if, if if COVID is cotton candy, is former President Trump now former President Bunker Bitch? No, he's a Bunker Bitch. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great fucking thing to call him, the Bunker Bitch. Now, Beautiful. It's just, that, that's how we'll leave it for a while. All right. Well, childhood is dead, Jason. Did you know that? I did. I did. Our childhood is fucking decimated, too. Did you know why? Because it truly is. Because Excite is shutting down, but regardless. Uh, so, Jason, uh, this is a subject that was near and dear to your heart, and I actually say that without any sarcasm. Uh, so, therefore, I'll kind of let you take take lead on it, and then yeah. uh, then I'll go from there. But uh, you've mentioned in the past on this show, kind mm-hmm. of in, in passing or in relation to other subjects, the concept and the subject of body dysmorphia and how it has actually affected you and your life and your kind of perception of things from the time that you were a child. And pro wrestling played a role in it, along with comic books and He-Man and... and so on and so forth. So uh, let's delve into that a little bit. Um, Talk about that as a general subject. And then that'll lead into our final subject of the week as well, which is worth mentioning. So go ahead, take the wheel. Okay. So uh, we did have a lot of you send in articles uh, that came out and I, there there might've been two, but there was one that was sent quite a bit. Uh, Joe Baca actually sent it too. So you know that it's got to mean something that Joey sent it in. But Did it talk about Slave 1? No, he fucking lost. He dropped the ball on that one. So Okay. But at any rate, uh, sorry, not sorry, Joey. You just I thought you could come through for us on that one. But at any rate... Um, uh, pack this, the bags. We're going on a guilt trip. There we go. We got this article about body dysmorphia and how at least partially uh, bodybuilders uh, today who are about my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older uh, claim that he man is a very massive reason that they got into bodybuilding or that they have uh, body image issues themselves. And I thought it was fascinating because I've, well, I've always been fascinated with this really starting in probably 
I'd say 2000, I, I really started to research it and a book that came out called The Adonis Complex. <clears throat> and it was the first real book uh, that came out about grown men's body images uh, being unhealthy and them having something that the that bro science or bodybuilders would call bigorexia where no matter how big they got with muscle that they could look in a mirror and think that they looked small they looked too small and it's like the opposite or the male equivalent of anorexia for for women and where did this fucking stem from and it had because there was this did not happen in our grandparents age where maybe they saw an image of i don't know charles atlas on the back of a comic book or they see steve reeves in a in a hercules movie every once in a while but certainly they didn't see the images at such a young age that that i saw growing up and dave saw and i would always be like why am i so obsessed with working out and getting bigger and having bigger muscles and taking this supplement and eating you know raw eggs and what what the fuck is this that's happening because there seems to be no fucking into it i'm not happy with the way I look, I'm not happy that I don't have the kind of muscle I do. And I remember there was times where I was, you know, here I'm six, two and probably weighed 235 pounds of decent muscle at a young age. I was still probably in my mid twenties looking in the mirror going, Oh my God, I'm so small. I just am not, I don't have the muscle mass that I want to have and saying this to people and them just looking at me like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like what the fuck is when is enough enough what's going on here and it it they were saying in this article that so many bodybuilders i hear credit slash blame <laughs> he man uh the brand for putting them on a road of never ending cycle of muscle building forever and i thought it was so Quick fucking question. interesting yes go ahead when was he man created do you remember well i can think about it and I'll figure it out for you. I believe that in 1982, if I'm thinking correctly, in 1982, 81, that's the, that's when really it came out. And I can get more into that if you'll let me, cause I think I know what you're going on, but go ahead. Sure. I, well, I was just, I was just curious about that. Cause it sure. determines kind of how long that. Absolutely. Happens. Well, I can get to the very, very nucleus of this because when I was a kid, um, Un, un, I did not know at the time. I really didn't that this was taking effect slowly but surely in my mind. Is when I woke up on Christmas morning and I had Castle Gray Skull and I had He Man, Man at Arms, Skeletor, and Merman sitting there. The cartoon had not come out yet. There was nothing that was other than the fucking toy. And I remember picking up He Man, the figure He Man, and just going, "What the fuck is this?" I didn't say "fuck" in my mind because I was still you know young, but it had that kind of holy shit moment where I was like, this is the greatest action figure, well, at the time, doll toy that I've ever seen in my life, and it's here with me now. And just looking at the way it was sculpted with its musculature and everything about it, I was like, what the fuck? This is what I want to be. When I grow up, this is what I want to look like. And little did I know at the time that it was sort of developed to go hand in hand with Conan, the Conan the Barbarian yeah. movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger was starring in. And that ultimately the agreement could never get made because Conan became under John Millis's beautiful 
genius direction, an R-rated film. So Mattel wasn't going to get behind that at all, but they were like, but sword sorcery, this Conan shit's good. And kids seem to like it. We should get into this. And Which is st- funny because years later there would be aliens toys and Terminator yeah. toys and all kinds of Robocop stuff. Robocop toys. Yeah, yeah Freddy Krueger. At any rate, um, so when I saw it, it immediately had an effect on me. And then when the cartoons came out to go along with it, it was the same thing. Now it was just more of when you grow up to be a man, this is what you should fucking look like. Period. And it wasn't anything that I knew how to do, but subconsciously I knew that's what I wanted to look like. And then later on, uh, as I became a wrestling mark more and more into the WWF at the time, um, all of my heroes were come to life fucking cartoon character action figures, whether it was, you know, Hulk Hogan or even Roddy Piper, who you could look at and go, well, he wasn't that big. But quite frankly, when Roddy was cycling, he was bigger than the average human. So it was all of them, whether it was Macho Man or whoever. So between He-Man, the toy, the cartoon and WWF, this started my body dysmorphia, but I'll go even further back because as I said, He-Man was a kind of kid toy version of Conan the Barbarian, the movie, and who played Conan the Barbarian? Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Arnold Schwarzenegger has changed malehood so dramatically, I don't know if it can be overstated. The nucleus of what we have from body dysmorphia, in my opinion, and I love the man, comes from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because as a, as a bodybuilder, he would sit in arenas maybe with 300 people posing and they would go fucking ape shit over this steroided out, over muscular body that he was displaying, okay? Then Hollywood took notice and he started getting in a film like Pumping Iron and Conan the Barbarian, making him mainstream. Now, just so you think that it wasn't just children that were affected by this, I want to talk about another man who also is part of Dave and I's childhood, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone did Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, and in these films, while he is fit and in shape, For a boxer, he certainly isn't any kind of bodybuilding shape that we would know him going forward. After Arnold Schwarzenegger came out with Conan the Barbarian, okay, the next film that Stallone is doing is Rocky III. And in my opinion, Sylvester Stallone was, fuck this uh, kid's table shit. What is he doing? Get Franco Colombo, his best friend in here, to fucking train me, not just with the workouts, but what is this motherfucker taking to get him to look like an action figure? And then Stallone jumped on board too. These two Can I throw something are, in there as sure, well? Sure, sure. A story that I've always heard, I don't know for a fact, obviously, you know, whether it's true or not, maybe you could shed light on it as well, Jason, is a story that I'd also heard is after, I forget if it was Rocky 1 or Rocky 2, but after one of the Rockies, Stallone's dad, who he had kind of a, I believe, a troubled kind of relationship with, uh, had made the comment about how small he looked in the movie or something to that effect. And apparently that was also a a massive motivating factor in Mm -hmm. what we saw in, you know, First Blood Part 2, as well as, you know, Rocky. 
Rocky three and Rocky four. Well, what you're seeing is two alpha males uh, decide that one wasn't going to take the back seat to another. The difference is Arnold, Schwar Arnold Schwarzenegger was a trained professional bodybuilder. Sylvester Stallone was just a mega big movie star who decided I'm going to fucking get on board with what Arnold's doing here. I'm not taking a back step to being the most masculine movie star on the screen. And so you had a war of muscles happening all through the fucking 1980s. Now, if you think that little Jason Bailey watching fucking HBO and you're seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone run rampant through the 80s with these fucking bodies did not have some kind of effect on me, you're completely wrong. So not just He-Man, which in a way is based on Arnold, but also... Stallone and Arnold's movies. I also think that because Vince McMahon was such a huge bodybuilding fanatic, which is exactly why he fell in love with superstar Billy Graham, by the yeah. way, it wasn't just superstar Billy Graham's rap that he could cut amazing promos. It's that he was the first fucking wrestler that looked like what Vince McMahon thought a wrestler should look like. And, and he trained and, with Schwarzenegger. And right he trained day. with goddamn Arnold Schwarzenegger. You see where this is all going, folks? And so here we go. Later on, Vince McMahon only promoted people for so many years that looked like a bodybuilder. So professional wrestlers, instead of looking like real fighters, started looking like bodybuilders. That's sort of what the look of the pro wrestler was, i.e. Lex Luger and, and people of this date and Rick Rude and somebody else we're going to talk about later. But uh, honestly, the 1980s made a huge, huge fucking imprint on not just Jason Bailey's mind as a man, as a boy, as a male, but so many males who grew up in that decade just subconsciously going, that's what you look like when you're a man. And if you don't look like that, you'd better figure out how to fucking look like that. And in a way, women have been going through it for fucking years, which all they always go back to the story of Barbie. That Barbie just kept getting thinner and thinner and thinner with a waistline that if it was real life would have been something stupid like 12 inches around or some crazy shit like that. And they, go ahead. Sorry, Jason. Uh, yeah. Just while Barbie is in the subject of conversation, just something that's very cool. I might have mentioned on the show before. Um, the official voice of Barbie, as well as the mocap uh, actor for Mattel's uh, Barbie YouTube channel, currently is a friend of mine, America Young. And one of the reasons she took that, uh, that job was because they were really purposely approaching it from a more, like, body positive, like, not just body positive, but just general positive mindset and approach and kind of very more uh, pro-feminism and pro-equality like equality and all of that kind of stuff. And they've, they've really kind of reinvented what Barbie can be. And, and a friend of mine is actually a big, very big part of that. So I just think that's kind of awesome. So I'm just throwing that out there. Continue. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is awesome. And, and the thing is that it, it's taken me most of my adult life to look in the mirror and go, yo, you do not need to be walking around with these huge fucking muscles and be the biggest guy in the room or any of that crazy shit that you had when you were a fucking kid. There's no need for it. I can't tell you how I shake my head and just kind of like shrug my shoulders at so many dudes my age going in to get TRT or what's known as testosterone replacement therapy, okay? Or HRT, yeah. Uh, and they'll use it. They'll use so many, I'm not... 
because I know that there's legitimate reasons to do it. I'm not trying to piss all over it, but so many men are like, well, it helps me with erectile dysfunction. Well, I just don't feel like myself. Well, I'm fatigued. Well, what they're describing is aging. Welcome. We've been waiting. What it really comes down to, in my opinion, and I think I'm fucking right because I always am, is body dysmorphia. I think that legally, through a prescription, through a doctor, uh, men my age who have dipped in testosterone, we all do, it's just aging, can now legally go get injected with steroids. And they're, and in my opinion, they're not doing it to feel better, maybe psychologically. They're doing it so that they look the way they always fucking want to look in their 20s and their 30s. But now in their 40s, they can medically get the shit done. And I really think that so many people who go to the gym for quote unquote health and fitness, that's really just bullshit. I think there might be a positive net result of health, but I really think that there's a lot of body dysmorphia, particularly in men uh, who are lifting heavy weights, that they just want to be the biggest, strongest, most muscular motherfucker out there because somewhere in the reptilian brain, there is an imprint of what Arnold Schwarzenegger started back in the 1970s. When you were younger, Jason, did you ever try a steroid? Okay, great fucking question, dude. Um, my first um, trainer, his name is Rob Murray, and got me, I was like, Rob, I want to be as big as you. I want to start. Rob Murray was the first fucking 16-year-old I knew that could bench press something like 400 pounds. Okay, it was, it was something insane. And he started training me, and I could tell over the next couple of years he was just fucking blowing up. And so I had a good idea after he trained me uh, that he was on them. And then they told me, well, the gym Rob goes to, some wannabe pros are in there and they, they do steroids. To me, it was intriguing, but I was so anti-drug. I was terrified of drugs. I terrified. Uh, I don't know if the just say no message worked on me and me alone back in the 80s, but I didn't do a fucking drug at all. I, I mean, I think I had my first beer when I was 18, and that's saying something from where I come from. So I was anti-weed, drug, steroids, anything. What it did come down to, though, is when I was in L.A., uh, probably... I think I was 25 or 26 at this point, and one of the guys I was on the set with, um, they actually were, because we were all playing military cops, I was always in one of these background things uh, sure. where I played a cop, military football player, something like that. So I was always surrounded by the same group of motherfuckers on the set. You'd see them every other set, same people. And um, there was one big guy who he told me I make a side living selling you know, juice. I, I sell testosterone, Decadurable, and Winstrol, Equipose, whatever you, whatever you want. He goes, would you like some of that? Because I think you could take it to the next level. Well, at that point, I, I even I was thinking like, well, yeah, if that's how I want to break into the business, maybe I'll use my body as the breaking point because my talent sure as shit hasn't done anything and I don't get along with anyone. So, you know, networking's out of the fucking picture too. So it was like, well, maybe I'll just fucking Arnold it up and that's my key to getting into the industry. But even after he came to my house and he showed me the shit, which he did in the hot box, he had a list, a catalog of lists, showed me stuff, said, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just said, you know what? It's not for me. It's not for me. And I didn't take it. There was another time where I actually went in for testing for TRT to see what it was. And I brought those results to Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez. 
And he said, dude, he goes, are you, do you have lower testosterone than you did when you were 25? Yes, you do. Do you need to be put on TRT? No, you fucking don't. He goes, you're doing just fine, dude. And I knew instinctively that was accurate. I was just looking for someone to give me the excuse to finally look like Paul Orndorff. And I just didn't fucking do it. You know what I mean? So there's right. always been some Batman thing in me that's like, that's a cheat. No, I'm not doing that. I don't know what it is, but I've never... I've never went down that road. I can always look in the mirror and go, hey, whether I have it or I don't, whether my legs are too small or my, I, my, my shoulders don't match what it should look like for my gut, whatever the fuck, it is all fucking me, dude. I didn't use anything to, to, to get there. And a lot of times in my life, someone would walk up to me and accuse me and go, uh, you want some shit? And I'd be like, no, no, I'm not. And, and it's kind of, you don't know whether to take it as a compliment or as a fucking insult that you didn't put the hard work in. Because right. I know so many guys on steroids in, in my life growing up because of the business I've been in and the interests I've had, i.e. fighting, i.e. bodybuilding, you know, whatever, where they're like, well, I do work hard. Well, I, I'm not saying you don't, but that superhuman action figure appearance that you have, buddy... You can fucking bullshit everyone else, but you cannot bullshit me. You, I, you can either get big or you can get lean. But to be big and lean is not possible with the human fucking body unless you're on some chemicals. It's the reason why most of your Marvel action hero actors look the way they do, whether they fucking admit it or goddamn not. They are under doctor's supervisions for slow something or another to look like fucking Thor. And it's, it is what it is. And I think that that's also needs to be said because there's probably a lot of young men out there and maybe not even so young men going, well, I want to look like, you know, Hemsworth, golly gee, I just need to get to the gym and take some protein powder. That's what he's telling me to do. God knows Hemsworth has launched a whole new fucking uh, side career of, of uh, fitness. He's got a fitness app and all this shit and train like Thor. And I just have to shake my head because no, I'm not going to say 100% that he's on, but I can tell you that just to cover my ass illegally, uh, I'll say allegedly he's, you know, doing it all naturally. Um, okay. <laughs> you draw your own conclusions, folks, but it's also the Marvel universe is the new WWE Arnold Stallone body dysmorphia uh, farming grounds, in my opinion. Well, you've you've enjoyed for quite a while, um, you know, sharing in Masters of the Universe and, and He-Man and stuff yeah. with your son. Do you have, as a father, any concerns of James internalizing the similar types of body image issues that you ended up growing up with? He may very well do that, but the difference with James, I hope, uh, that I did not have is me. It's the vanilla Godzilla fucking oracle of wisdom where I can tell him, son, that is not achievable unless you are willing to take testosterone in combination with decadurabolin, eat a lot of shit, and then cut that back down for a specific amount of time. Um, Rich Piana looked the way he did because, and he didn't lie. Rich Piana was like, I take steroids. I have implants. None of this is natural. I work hard, but hey, it is what it is. And he's dead. And I think there need to be more fucking, you know, examples. I don't want people to die, but more examples given to kids like, yes, you can achieve that body. 
you certainly can achieve that uber alpha male fucking beast body thing that you know you worship as a child and you see in He-Man and you see all your 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 favorite uh, uh, wrestlers or whatever have. And by the way, that's not as prevalent as it was when we were growing up. Thank God. But at any rate, you have to know this is what you have to do to achieve it. Where I can tell that to James, and I look very forward to. I work out every day. He walks up to me and he always says, daddy, can I work out with you? And I give him some little thing to do like an ab roller and teach him how to use it. And he thinks he's doing something cool, you know, or, or whatever. But at least when he does start training, cause he's told me he wants to work out and, you know, be big like dad one day, which that's sort of like daddy heaven. you love when your son says that to you, you're like, great. I can't wait to have a fucking garage gym and you know, teach you how to fucking lift weights and at least be realistic about it and tell you the stuff I know works, I know doesn't work, and the bullshit they told you in the weeder magazines about just have this protein, take this creatine, and you're going to have 22-inch arms is fucking bullshit because you need a lot other, you need the, the modern medicines that the lab can come out with to take, and it's illegal, most of it, unless, of course, you're getting the bullshit TRT and saying it's for your health when really it's so you can look like He-Man. But that's the whole body dysmorphia issue. He-Man's coming out on Netflix within the next month or two. They're yep. relaunching He-Man. I am, James and I are fucking like stoked beyond belief. We can't wait. And having said all that body dysmorphia bullshit, I can put it in context now and go, that's not what a normal man should look like. That's not what a normal dude looks like. But what I want He-Man to come out as a 180 pound dude no maybe on Eternia they do look like this I see how I'm justifying shit so the deal is that no I love watching stoked up fucking He-Man I still love watching stoked up wrestlers I, I love this shit but now as an adult I can be very honest with myself and go that's not normal that's not realistic and that's how these men achieve these bodies and one person who also worked hard, but also achieved uh, his physique through some artificial means, uh, passed away this past week. And I know, Jason, you especially wanted to talk about him, and you mentioned his name earlier, and that is, of course, the one and only Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. We have discussed the main event of the first WrestleMania many times. The person who probably has gotten mentioned the least is Paul Orndorff. We've talked Hogan. We've talked Piper, of course. We've even talked Mr. T., but they're really, and this really is the story of Paul Orndorff's life and career is very frequently. He was, you know, he was a tremendous talent who very frequently was kind of passed over, or overlooked um, in favor of, of others. And I think he, you know, and I'm not saying this made him a bad dude, but he legitimately had a, a sense of bitterness about that. Uh, Jason, what would you like to say about uh, the great Paul Orndorff? He was, was he 81? No, or was he no, 71 something, wasn't he? 71. 71. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't older than Funk, and, and Terry's still kicking at like 77. So yeah, 71, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well, the thing is that I always talk about you guys about my top five wrestlers that I just love, I adore. And I also told you about sort of that second tier of people that are, that as I get older, are nipping at the, the heels of that top five because I just think their legacy grows as the years go on. And one of them for me is Paul Orndorff and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. He was 
in my opinion, just an amazing performer in that ring. And one of the main reasons is because of his absolute intensity inside. Uh, pro wrestling at a point in time, they were kayfabe. They wanted you to believe that every fucking thing in that ring was real. Uh, if they hated their opponent, if they want to kill their opponent, if they were in pain, whatever. And Paul Orndorff is perfect at this. Every time he walked in the ring to beat the shit out of someone, you, I mean, I believe like, well, Paul Orndorff's going to kill this motherfucker, whoever he was fighting. You never thought in a million years, like he was faking it, pulling punches, that it was a performance. He was acting. No, Paul Orndorff, it seemed like that motherfucker was there and he was there for all business and he was going to kill someone that night. And I thought that he, he did great. His body was amazing. He was one of these people that to me, loving He-Man as I did, I used to look at Paul Orndorff and actually think this when I was a kid, that if they ever did a live action movie, they could use Paul Orndorff. I thought his body looked like He-Man, his haircut looked like He-Man, he just sort of looked like an angrier, more redneck version of He-Man to me. And I was just like, <laughs> this motherfucker could be He-Man, okay? What's funny now looking back at the um, the matches with Paul Orndorff is how, and I this is not taken away from the respect I have from this man, how unimpressive his physique really is in comparison to what would come Later on, he had a really good physique. No kidding. He absolutely did. But then as you know, you saw Rick Rude come down the pike and the ultimate warrior and Lex Luger. He was no, I mean, he didn't have these men's bodies, not at all. So it's very interesting that that was sort of his gimmick is to show how muscular he was. And to know that just, just five years later, you would see these unbelievable fucking chemically induced physiques that, you know, whatever Paul Orndorff was doing, he didn't even, he wasn't even on this, this fucking level. But what's cool about Paul Orndorff is that intensity, is that work ethic, that commitment to character. He grew up, oddly enough, in Tampa, in a little town on the outskirts of Tampa, Brandon. It was called the Brandon Bull when he was a star football player there. And he came, and he's basically the same, came up at the same time as Hulk Hogan. As Hulk Hogan was coming up in Tampa, that area, so was Paul Orndorff. They actually knew each other as kids, okay, going through high school together. And Hulk Hogan would you know always say you have no idea Paul Orndorff in high school looked the way he did when he was main eventing WrestleMania like he just had a fully developed man's body even in high school and people were terrified of him because of his temper and his physical presence and well, he famously these... he famously beat up big van vader in a shower and was like had flip-flops on and was kicking the shit out of him yeah he was a bad man i mean there was no hogan would say in tampa he was known as one of the best street fighters you just did not fuck with paul orndorff you wouldn't do it in a million years and it was just funny that all the years went by later he went through you know georgia championship wrestling and he was trained by the same trainer he was trained by hero matsuda as terry Bollea. had the exact same professional wrestler break trainer so all these years later when he gets to wwf at the time uh then starts this program and i think the greatest thing in the world is that yes he was in the main event of the first wrestlemania but also in 1986 starting in august came his betrayal of his friend at that point terry Bollea as hulk hogan now and hulk hogan and paul orndorff had one of the best fucking feuds ever in wwf history pro wrestling illustrated gave it the best feud of 19 
1986. And it started with Paul Orndorff, you know, betraying Hulk Hogan with the, the Heenan family, joining the Heenan family and, you know, pile driving him in the middle of the ring. And it went on to later on in the same month in August of 1986, a huge event that they didn't even know was going to be a huge event. They went to basically a glorified house show. I believe up in Toronto, they pulled pulled into the goddamn parking lot and lo and behold, there was something insane, like 65, 69,000 fucking people had shown up legitimately, not even even inflated. This is not inflated. This is not inflated by Vince McMahon at all. They had no commentators for these matches, but it was to see Hulk Hogan versus Paul Orndorff in their first huge conflict in a a massive way just the two of them when earlier that month the the you know benedict arnold betrayal had happened and they i mean they couldn't believe it hulk hogan vince mcmahon paul orndorff they absolutely were stupefied at the amount of fucking people that had shown up for this match had they known that that's what it was going to be they probably would have put a lot more effort into it later on they turned the house show uh cameras that they had just taped for the matches to show later on in programming into a pseudo pay-per-view thing that was not a pay-per-view they overdubbed commentary with gorilla monsoon and, and some other people i think johnny valiant and, and some people but it, they could not believe the drawing power that Ho- hogan versus paul orndorff would have and paul orndorff beat the fuck out of hogan i mean there is some real shoot style fighting in both that match and all the matches they had this is amazing. Six months of them fighting each other in really good storylines. Paul Orndorff would come out to Real American and say he was the Real American. Just good shit. And then, it's good TV, pal. And then, I think in January of 1987, they had the uh, Saturday Night's Main Event cage match where they both infamously came down from the cage at the exact same time, but it was awarded to Hulk Hogan. Paul Orndorff saying that was bullshit. And uh, it was just great. They worked uh, to see two kids that were basically in high school knew each other in high school main eventing these great pro wrestling huge storylines later on in life they were made for each other and uh i i love paul orndorff i love what he did with his career it's too bad that the last probably year two three years he have has been suffering from uh you know dementia just like terry funk and uh he was in and out of the hospital well he finally uh, it took its toll on him and he did die this uh, past week at the age of 71 but rest in power what a badass motherfucker paul orndorff well that run with hogan also had a negative effect on his health because he was having uh, recurring neck problems and he didn't want to go off the road and, and lose out on the highest money he had ever made and the biggest draws he'd ever been a part of so he pushed through the injury as they were all want to do at that time including hogan um you know he would be hurt on the road too but he had the belt and he couldn't take time off and you know, for all the shit we talk about Hogan, that's very legitimately true. Um, so, yeah, he had a massive neck problem, and then that caused, like, severe nerve damage because he never rested and never got it checked out or whatever. So then, you know, he had to take time extended off from the business for a little while because he was just so fucked up. And then my actual, my favorite Paul Orndorff match actually happened years later uh, in the early 90s when he had the Falls Count Anywhere match with Cactus Jack in WCW. Yeah. That match was incredible. And that and Orndorff himself um 
credited that match as, as getting him signed to a longer term deal. And he had, he had one last great run left in him. And, you know, uh, he spent a lot of time in the tag ranks and stuff, but even like, even tagging with Paul Roma, he made that shit work. Yeah, like he did, he, you know, he, he was had a really great good. run there. He, he uh, started a, he started training in WCW's power plant, bringing the next generation along. And what a drill sergeant mentality that guy had. I mean, Paul Orndorff, he didn't take shit from anyone. He demanded perfection and excellence from everyone around him. What a great training individual. I have a real quick story because I know we need to go about Paul Orndorff. But I was once managing a restaurant in, um, in L.A., and um, at this restaurant, there was another manager. His name was Billy. And um, he originally came from Georgia. And he was a great guy, a great, great fucking hospitality manager, actually. And um, people didn't know this, but when Orndorff left the WWF in 1988, because he simply couldn't go on any further because of the uh, the toll that Vince McMahon wanted them to, you know, the, the scheduling that he had them under in the travel. Oh, his arm was fucked up because his of arm, the neck injury. Yeah, he was just coming apart. He did a semi-retirement in 1988, and he, you know, he came from Florida, but he moved to Georgia. And when he moved to Georgia, his retirement plan was to run a um, bowling alley down there, which I don't know how long that went on, but that's what he did for a living. He ran a bowling alley for his retirement plan. And uh, when he lived down there, I didn't know this, but Billy, the manager I worked with, was best friends with Paul Orndorff's son. And came from the same town uh, in, I think, Fayette, Georgia, Fayetteville, Georgia, somewhere like that. And uh, he told me that uh, on a personal level that in real life, Paul Orndorff was just the sweetest, kindest, most laid back man he'd ever met in his life. That he would go hunting with him and his son. And he said, honestly, you want to know what my fondest memory of it is? I said, what was it? Because, you know, I'm a wrestling mark. I'm all fucking ears now. And he said, it was seen you know we called him mr orndorff he said seen mr orndorff in his living room smoking pot just relaxing <laughs> he said he just didn't want to be bothered he was in pain he's like kids go do what you're gonna do i'm gonna be in here get me if you need me but he just chilled out he was chill all the fucking time and he goes it was he said he was a really good dude out you know in real life so it's always fun to hear those those kind of stories from people who know them personally and uh like i said i can't say enough good things about about Paul Orndorff, I think he was uh, he was really awesome and a credit to the professional wrestling business. Well, Roddy always, Roddy always called him Oscar because he said he was a grouch. <laughs> yeah, he did, and he was, but he was a good man grouch. He would always say yeah. in, his, in his Hall of Fame speech that he said, "You know how you hear all these people they're going out and they talk about the partying and the drinking." I'm sure he was making references to Piper and Flair, <laughs> but he goes, "Not me." I knew my wife knew where I was every single night. And of course he got this standing ovation from that because that's not the wrestler's lifestyle. And he was like, I went straight home. I went straight to the hotel. I, I went to bed. I got up. I, it was a business to me. This is what I did. And I, I, there was none of that bullshit. I'm, you know, basically saying I'm a good man. This is what I did. And J and Jim Cornette, Corny actually said that there's a famous story with that hall of fame. Paul Orndorff went back to his hotel. And at the time they weren't giving out rings. They were just doing those plaques. Right. Yeah. He went to the hotel, he put the plaque on the fucking cabinet, and he left <laughs> of the hotel room. He took the $5,000 He cashed the check, though, yeah. He cashed <laughs> the check, and he went home. And, like, it didn't really even matter to him. He was like, fuck the plaque. So typical Paul Orndorff tough guy shit. But good stories, and guys, I'm telling you, you could do a lot worse things than looking up on YouTube or Daily Motion or whatever, some Paul Orndorff matches, and, and even promos. I think even though he was not the greatest promo man, 
I think some of his promos stand out today just because it's him. He, you know, he can't divorce the real from him in these promos. And I just think, uh, great guy. And I'm, I'm going to miss him being on this planet with us. So big deal, you know, really good guy. Last, last question. Did Vince sign him from Georgia or did Vince get him from another territory? Like where did he sign Orndorff originally? Orndorff was uh, basically going through and he was working kind of one-off shots through Georgia Championship Wrestling and then also in Charlotte, okay, Okay. in Mid-Atlantic. Georgia Championship Wrestling, because Vince was taking over fucking you know everything, they tried to get uh, Paul Orndorff to sign a contract that tied him up in Georgia, but there was no guarantees on money. And Paul Orndorff was like, listen, I'll sign, but I need a guarantee per week. And I think he was asking for a thousand dollars a week. So four grand a month for as long as the contract went <clears throat> and Georgia championship wrestling. We, well, we, we can't do that for you. So he's like, well then, you know, fuck you. And Vince had contacted him through somebody. And that's where he, he came from directly. And he was at the, just the beginning months of, um, of Hulkamania. I think he came in, fucking february or march of 1984 well when he first came in they had roddy as his manager yeah as his mouthpiece uh, mm-hmm. yeah uh especially because roddy was still recovering from the ear injury so his his balance was still a little bit questionable so he wasn't quite ready to get back in the ring yet. at least that's my understanding of the timeline yeah. um so and so he had roddy as his mouthpiece when he first came in and those two were were quite the pair yeah, I mean, they could work the fucking crowd. I remember seeing a Paul Orndorff match when he first came in, early 1984. It took him probably 15 fucking minutes to get into the ring and start wrestling, and he could wrestle. He could, but he was he was a master at working the goddamn crowd. And, I mean, it's just what he does is a lost art in pro wrestling, and it's, it's one of those things where people go, ah, pro wrestling, what the fuck? Watching him perform, Paul Orndorff, it's just... He had the show business part of it, but he also had the fucking, you know, the physicality down too. Absolutely. And don't call him Paula. (laughs) And on that note, that is our show. Any final notes, Jason? No, ladies and gentlemen, but please, we really appreciate you and we want to hear from you so you can get that little Annie, uh, little Orphan Annie decoder ring. Please contact us at that little known email address, askdaveandjason at excite.com. Because, well, God damn it, it barely fucking works. So please, we want to hear from you, okay? Thank you very much. And uh, I'll throw it back to you, Dave. Well, we made up for a shorter episode last week by <laughs> talking our asses off this week. And Supersize it. <laughs> Absolutely. On that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not, I hope, be today. So until next week, 